Welcome to another episode of the Light and Life podcast. I'm Brett Heinzman, and I am especially delighted today to welcome Sarah Baldwin, who is the VP of Student Life and Dean of Students at Asbury University. I'm welcoming Jesse Thompson, a student at Asbury University, and two of our own bishops, Bishop Linda Adams and Bishop Keith Cowart as we're going to have a panel discussion about the Asbury outpouring and what has taken place, um, some of the things that they experienced, and where do we go from here? All of that is coming up in this episode. So friends, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's go ahead and jump right in, and I would love to begin to ask um, Jesse and Sarah, let's just start with you. As you participated in the events at Asbury, what was it that gave you a clear sense in your spirit that this was an authentic move of God? I guess I can go first. Um, so something I think for, for me kind of walking into that space, I think something that really confirmed it initially, um, just for the first time that I entered into Hughes, was walking through the doors and there was just a wash over me. It was kind of there's nothing I can really compare it to just like a wave crashing down, but it was kind of this instant peace, instant emotion, instant, just joy that kind of filled me. And I was standing next to a friend and I just like had to grab her and, and hug her because I just couldn't even express how incredible it was to walk into that space and to immediately know that the presence of Jesus was there. And there was just such a sweetness to, to seeing that and to feeling that and to looking out and seeing a ton of my peers and seeing them, just joining in with praise and just wanting to give all the glory to Jesus. Uh, so that was kind of an initial like first feeling that I got. Um, but then the other thing that, that comes to mind is I really did struggle a little bit as we kind of moved further along in the process as the days were passing. I was just like, Lord, I just want some sort of more almost tangible confirmation, something in your word, something in your scripture. And so he just kind of led me into a couple places in the New Testament where I was reading and it just really confirmed in my heart that what I was experiencing, the things that I felt like the Lord was telling me, what other people were going through in that space was true and authentic and that what we were receiving was truly from the Lord. Jesse, you said that really beautifully. And I would echo Jesse's comments, you know, from that very first day when uh, our students began responding to the outpouring of God. It was really marked by the fruits of the spirit. I mean, there was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, these were when you walked into the space and you listened to the students and <clears throat> watched them experience God. Uh, these were, this was the sense of the space. Uh, there was very much marked with the Holy Spirit. It was also really marked with repentance and confession. And I was really moved by the students seeking restitution from one another. There was like, they were at the altar. They were desiring more of God, um, confessing sin, like turning to their friends to make things right. And in the midst of all of that, there was really sweet joy, like Jesse said, really almost irresistible joy and peace in the space. It was hard to leave. And so that uh, that convergence of experiencing that sense of God's presence, but then seeing students respond to it with such um, authenticity and such like desiring for more of God. Uh, that it really was clear that God was in this. 
And like Jesse said, it did have like several waves to it. There was like waves of the outpouring. So like that was the first wave when we were sure that God was pouring out upon our students. Oh, what a beautiful account. I'm sure that you'll realize that Wednesday, February 8th will never be the same again. And when February 8th comes around next year, I'm sure it'll be marked as an anniversary. Um, we're actually recording this podcast on March 13th on a Monday. So um, it's hard to believe that it's been that long since the outpouring began, that it really was was February 8th. But thank you so much for sharing that. Jesse, what was kind of the talk and atmosphere among the student body during those days? I mean, not everyone could be in Hughes at the same time. So what was happening around campus and what was that atmosphere like? Those first few days, I think, were, were really sweet and really special, I think, because we felt like we had a lot of freedom to just be in that space. Um, there really wasn't too much urgency to get back to responsibility. I think Dr. Belvin did mention, she said that you didn't want to leave. And I think for a lot of us, those first few days, those of us who were able to be there, those of us who were actually on campus, because we did have some sports teams traveling and some people who were um, off of campus at that point. But for a lot of us, we just wanted to stay. And we felt like we had that freedom to do that. And our teachers were really gracious with us. And it was just... Um, there was so much freedom and so much um, kind of space for us to do that. Um, but I think kind of more of where we started actually talking about it and getting out to see the rest of campus and how people were feeling about it was kind of going into that next week when we were like, well, okay, it's time to get back to actually going to classes. We have homework to do. We still have to be students, um, even though we're still enjoying the midst of, of what the spirit is doing in this place. And I think once we kind of shifted into that mindset of things, um, where it was now balancing what's happening with what we have to do every day on a normal basis. Um, there was just a lot of, there was some shame that I think a lot of people were feeling, um, not necessarily brought on by anything or by anyone, but it was just a feeling of, well, why can't I, why don't I feel like I need to be there all the time? Like I was those first few days. Mm. Why is it that I don't have this, the same drive that I felt at the beginning? Um, why can't I, I feel that way? Why can't I desire to be infused the way I desire to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? And I, it was really hard, I think, for students to process because we, we still wanted to be in that space. We still wanted to be open to what the Lord was wanting to do, but we didn't feel like we needed to, to be infused for that to happen anymore. And I know a lot of people struggled with kind of figuring out, okay, what does that mean now? Am I letting the Lord work in me the same way he wasn't Hughes, but it's going to get more personal now. It's going to be more one-on-one -on -one, and it's going to be in the quieter moments, not in the big corporate setting like it has been um, all weekend. And so I think some students still coming to terms with that. And I know I struggled with it too. I was like, oh, you know, if my friends are still going all the time, why don't I feel like I need to be doing that as well? Um, so there was a lot of tension in that space, but I think it allowed for a lot of really vulnerable and open conversations that we got to have. And just being honest with each other about like, hey, I, I just am too tired to do that right now. Um, and being able to accept that and embrace one another in the midst of it um, and to speak without offense in that way. I think it was really hard, but it was really good. And I think we saw a lot of growth in ourselves and a lot of um, the Lord's transformative work and how he was starting to really root that within each of us. Thank you. Sarah, how about you? Um, yeah. As your role, I mean, what was it like to help kind of steward those moments and when did you first get brought into it? Was it almost immediately or did it take a while? And kind of give us an idea of what role you played and what it was like for you. Yeah, well, I oversee our chapel program as part of my role. And so 
I was brought, I mean, essentially, I remember getting a text, like, at, I think I was at lunch and someone saying, hey, students are here still worshiping. And truly, that's not totally um, surprising. Uh, over the course of the year, we have a handful of chapel services, or maybe even more than a handful, and students will stay and sing or pray. And so when I first got that text, I wasn't, I was happy and delighted, but I wasn't shocked or surprised. But I remember checking in, I think after lunch, I went over and I was like, oh, wow, there are quite a few students. And I was watching students join and join, and there was just such this sweet spirit of worship. I, our gospel choir was leading, and I think they led that first day like nine hours straight. And so they were, and then uh, I was seeing like other students trickle in, and so I was making note of this. I think I went to a meeting and then came back like at three o'clock, and I was like, oh, there's like 150 students here. Like, and then it began to be like, Thing. this is different like this is different and the longer I think we canceled most of us canceled our meetings this afternoon and just wanted to be present and as we were more and more students kept coming I'm sure Jesse remembers like the the word was out and some students brought their instruments and they joined in in the gospel choir some began to testify share testimonies there was prayer at the altar there was prayer in the rows and there was just this spirit of joy and confession and repentance wanting more of Jesus it was just really amazing and sweet and I think that evening we had more and more and more students and then we started getting texts that you know, like UK was coming down after their campus ministry. And then we're getting texts that EKU is coming and Western Kentucky is coming. And then we started getting texts that like, oh, we heard that a van just left from Ohio Christian and they're on their way. And, oh, we heard that several students are coming from Indiana Wesleyan. So we just started getting texts like that evening. And it was really hard to even take it all in and of course, sure. at that point, we had no idea what was ahead. But yeah, that evening in the hallway below Hughes, there was a few of us who gathered and just, we made the decision that we would leave Hughes open all night long. So I immediately started texting our team, like who can be there from 12 to two, from two to four, from four to six, from six to eight. And uh, we just, just started saying yes to what we believed was an outpouring and a work of God. And we just started saying yes to the moment to what we thought god was doing so that's how it started you ultimately said yes to over fifty-five thousand people who descended on this little town of wilmore kentucky and on the campus of asbury university well bless you for your yes so bishop keith and bishop linda bishop keith will start with you at some point you made the decision to go what was it that prompted you in your spirit for you and pam to say yes to go to Wilmore, and what did you witness when you arrived? Yeah, well, we were, Pam and I were both in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, in fact, when we first started seeing uh, some posts about what was happening at Asbury. And since both of us are Asbury grads, seminary, but uh, Asbury grads, we took interest in it. Of course, we've, you know, we've heard of the 1970 revival and uh, heard all the testimonies about that. And so we got home on Sunday uh, after it started on on, on Wednesday. We got home the following Sunday. And we just kept following it for a day or two. And um, 
uh, Matt and Linda and I were supposed to be meeting the, the next m- Sunday in Seattle for three days. And so there was some conversation among the three of us about, hey, maybe we ought to move that meeting from Seattle to Wilmore. And even though we've got business to take care of, we could at least get there and, and be a part of this somehow. But on, I think it was on Wednesday, Pam just woke up. I mean, I need to give her credit for this because it was really Pam that woke up and just said, I think we're supposed to go sooner than that. Um, and uh, she really felt led of the Lord to let's get a, let's find a house. Let's find a Verbo and uh, just make it available to whoever needs it. And um, you know, we we really prayed through that. We talked to a few people about whether or not that was a need. She ended up contacting JD, who we're longtime friends with, uh, JD Walt, and JD confirmed, yeah, there is a need, and it would be great. So we decided to go ahead and go on Friday. Um, I will tell you this, I and mean, this is for me personally. Um, the Lord started working long before we got to Wilmore. Um and I'll just, I'll say it this way. And Jesse, I'm looking at you on my screen. I know people don't, there's not a screen here, but I'm looking at you. The The testimonies of what we were hearing of the hunger of the students for, for the presence of God, the hunger of the students in worship, it's, it sparked hunger in my spirit. Uh, your hunger made me hungry. Uh, the more I heard about what you guys were uh, experiencing and doing the more the hungry I was. And and so we went up there and Pam definitely went with this idea. We, we want to go serve whoever needs to be served. And, and, and of course I was willing to do that too, but I will say I was very much wanting to be there for myself to say, Lord, I, I want more of what you're doing here. Um, and uh, so we got there a Friday afternoon. We set up the, the house and uh, we decided to drive into Wilmore. So this was this would have been Friday night, um, ten days in Friday night, and it was just jam packed. Um, when we got there, the the first thing was just the overwhelming number of people, and uh, we immediately bumped into some people we knew well, some that lived there in, in Wilmore, and. Uh, our intent was just to go and go in whatever venue there was room and and just worship and be there. Um, but we kind of got caught on the way in and said, hey, I think they're really going to need some help. Um, would you guys be willing to be on the prayer team? And we're like, sure, we'll we'll do whatever. And um, so we did. I mean, we we went in. We actually went into Estes and we're working uh, in Estes on the prayer team. Um and just the hunger in the eyes of the people who came forward. I mean, it's like some people just walked in the back door and went straight to the altar. I mean, people's hearts were so soft and so responsive to the Holy Spirit. That was the thing that really stood out to us immediately, was there is an environment here where the Holy Spirit is moving and people are responding. And uh, it was beautiful, a beautiful thing to, to witness. Thank you. So, Bishop Linda, when did you arrive, and what um, did you see, and what impacted you when you first arrived in Wilmore? Early on, I was invited to speak in chapel at Spring Arbor just a few days after this started. So, I guess on about day five or six, it was my turn to speak in Spring Arbor, 
And um, that's my home church. And that's the church where the 1970 revival spilled over and totally turned my life right side up as a 15 year old. And so um, I had, um, I, I felt like a witness from afar that I know this is real and I know that it's gonna change people's lives forever. And so I was excited and we ended up having a wonderful time at the chapel at Spring Arbor. And um, by the way, after chapel, when the altar was lined and students were praying and we had dismissed people, uh, a young man, a student at Spring Arbor stood up and said, well, I understand that Asbury started off by one man confessing, so I'll go first. And he confessed that he was bound in the chains of pornography and couldn't get out. And immediately about 12 other guys came to walk around him and the chaplain was there and praying and and then it just went on and some students were there until about 10 o'clock at night that day. But I had to go down. So I'm on the Roberts Wesleyan University board and we had a meeting in Florida, but I was hearing, you know, watching the Facebook posts, especially yours, Sarah, and all the other ones. And uh, we had made the decision to come. So on Sunday, uh, Bishop Matt and I flew in from our respective places and we got there. It, you know, the day of the week is starting to feel irrelevant, but we we walked over there for the Sunday during, I think, nine o'clock Sunday night. And thankfully, somebody was able to get us in. So the first thing I noticed was just that the whole front lawn of Hughes Auditorium had hundreds and hundreds of people waiting so patiently in these long, long lines. And the place was already packed. I don't know why they thought they would ever get in, you know, because three or four people would leave and they would put three or four more people in. But they were standing there graciously and there was music. The, the service was being broadcast out on the lawn by then. So they could watch screens and sometimes some of them were singing along and some of them had guitars and they were just making the most of this hours and hours of waiting in the cold. So when when we got inside, um, I think my so we we were up in the balcony that night, and my first impression was just to look down and see this sea of faces, most of them very young, but not all because there were thousands of other people there by then, um, and to see the the purity in their faces and to sense the sincerity and authenticity of their worship, like. Um, there's an awe when you realize that God's actually in the room. And I, I saw holiness unto the Lord across the front of the platform. And I just said, this is a revival of holiness. Because when we recognize that God's in the room, you know, if you look at what Isaiah did or the people in Revelation, you know, they hit the dust and started saying, holy, holy, holy. And then they said, I'm a person of unclean lips, you know. And so in the presence of the holiness of God, the willingness or even eagerness to come clean about our sin, about our unworthiness, about our need for God. You know, that's one of the hallmarks of it is in the presence of a holy God, how can I how can I cherish this dark thing in me? I want to let it go. I want to be released. And so to see this movement over and over and over again of uh conviction, repentance, confession, forgiveness, reconciliation joy and to just see that that sequence happens you know so that then i guess the other part for me was the the simplicity and beauty of the worship that it was not overpowered by the band or by any kind of dramatic 
uh, glitzy lighting that made it feel like an entertainment venue or a show. It was just people, just simple people simply lifting their hearts in unison praise and worship. And uh, that was just, it was precious to see. And I think I wrote in a Facebook post that what was remarkable was that it was unremarkable. It was just people worshiping the Lord like we've seen a thousand times. And yet, so this is the part of the thing where my, um, that I struggle a little bit with. I had people like at the Roberts board meeting and stuff saying, well, we don't necessarily believe in us in a theology of space or place. Like the Holy Spirit is everywhere. We can draw near to him. We have drawn near to him. We know he's, we abide in him. The Holy Spirit's in us. So why do we have to fly to Wilmore to taste this, this unusual thing? Um, and I knew from my own experience in 1970 that you just, it's, you just had to be there. There's no describing it. You know, I, I remember uh, students at Spring Arbor college back then at midnight running across the street to wake up their roommates in the dorm rooms and say you got to get across the street god's in the church and people would throw their clothes on and come running across the street well that shouldn't be ironic it shouldn't be out of the usual but it was there was a sense of the manifest presence of god so anyway there there was a reason to be there i know we didn't we weren't like just gawking we were celebrating and participating in what God was doing. So that was, so that was there. Um, let me just say one more thing and then I'll let you toss it to someone else. But the second day we were across the street over at um, Estes and um, then McKenna, we were in McKenna Chapel. And it was very, it was an interesting um, experience to say, we're not in Hughes, we're in another venue across the street and all we're seeing is a live stream um, on a screen at the front of the room. And yet, the receptivity to the move of God, the willingness to go to the front and pray, the willingness to just just be in a posture of um, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. This is your place in the first place. We're just here to meet with you. And even though we were in a different venue and we weren't on the quote holy ground across the street, the the overflow was palpable. So anyway, that was a beautiful thing to experience as well. Mm, thank you so much, Bishop Linda. What great uh, reports as to what you saw and experienced, and especially that this was a revival of holiness. I love Isaiah 6, where um, Isaiah does fall to the ground and says, woe to me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Just a beautiful passage, and to see that happening. When I think about a scriptural connection, one of the things that I'm reminded of is that everyone in this circle has likely been praying for, asking for, seeking the Lord for awakening and an outpouring of his spirit for a long time. For some of us, it's been years. For some of us, it's been decades. Um, in fact, David Thomas was supposed to join us today, who's given his entire life to studying the great awakenings of the world and their connection to travailing prayer. And so I think about Simeon and Anna when I think about this connection, that they waited so long, and God gifted them the ability to see the Christ child uh, in the flesh. And, you know, I think of Simeon's words, now your servant can depart in peace, uh, because my eyes have seen the glory, the glory of the Holy One of Israel. And I think how how was there a little bit of Simeon and Anna in the moments for all of you? Maybe Sarah and Jesse, we'll start with you. What um, 
did you have a, a clear sense like this is really something remarkable and I get to witness it? And what was that like for you? Uh, yeah, certainly. You know, I think I think we kept saying to ourselves for those 16 days, like anytime I got to, you know, with our ministry team as we would cross paths throughout the day, we just kept saying to each other, can you believe this? This is amazing. I can't believe this. But here it is, like God is moving. Like we were just in a constant state of awe at what God is doing. And uh, we couldn't even put all of, we still can't put all of our words to describe it. I think that one unique thing perhaps about Asbury is that, you know, we tell the story of how God has shown up over the years in unique ways in Hughes. Like we know God is everywhere all the time. And sometimes God shows up in, in different ways. Right. And it is, so we've told the story to ourselves. We've heard it, you know, that God moves and has moved in Hughes. And we've also, like we tell our students for like a hundred years, people have met God in profound ways at the altar. So that is part of our storytelling. And so when this began to unfold, I mean, we were, we were very surprised, but not entirely unprepared. It, it was like, oh yes, like we have a bit of a holy imagination that God could be at work in these days in this way. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it was like a, it was like a reminder of the story that we've been telling one another. And so in that way, we just stood in awe that we were the people that got to stand in the midst of this outpouring of the love of God and see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears, how the Holy spirit was at work. And so I, I think it's fair to say that we remain odd. I know I remained odd and incredibly full of thanksgiving of the opportunity to be present to it. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, I think awe is, it's the word that I think I used so much just when trying to describe the experience and what it felt like to be there and to kind of grasp a part of the magnitude of what was happening. I remember at one point after a couple of days, my friends and I were talking and we just kind of sat there and we were struck and we thought, this is, this is history. Like we are living through something that people are going to be talking about for years. Because I know like with the 1970 revival, a documentary came out a couple of years ago, we watched in chapel being at Asbury. It's just one of those things that you talk about it, you hear about it, you know, it's something that happened. You probably know a couple of people who were there. Um, and then just to kind of, to have heard about that. And I grew up in Wilmore, so I, I heard that all my life. And so it was just one of those things that it was like, all of a sudden I was living in those moments that I'd heard people talk about and that I'd, that I'd been told so many stories about. And all of a sudden I was a part of it. And there, there's sort of a, there was a feeling of, I don't, it was awe of just sitting in that space and knowing this is something that it's going to spread and it's, I get to share it with people and I get to be a part of it um, in this moment. And I don't think the magnitude of that has fully hit. I don't think it will hit for years. Um, but just even understanding that in the moment and knowing that this is something that I'm going to get to tell my kids and my grandkids about um, and the impact it's going to have is eternal. And just knowing that now I was, there's just no word but awe for how we were feeling. Thank you, Jesse. You know, Bishop Linda, I was thinking, and maybe you could, could help us. You were talking about the, the fact that this remarkable event was so unremarkable. And I'm thinking, what lessons can we learn 
about our corporate worship from this outpouring uh, that perhaps we could apply to our, our praxis of ministry in day-to-day -day life of the everyday church? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to just, um, I'll answer that in a second. I want to back up to your other question because the Simeon and Anna moment for me was we've been hearing for a long time and experiencing it ourselves that a younger generation has um, been leaving the church in droves and it's discouraging because I know that, you know, well, as David Thomas would say, and any of us who have studied revival that God most often will stir up the coals with young people and marginalized people. And I've just been uh, grieving the horrible thought that generations would slip away from the church and from knowing Jesus and walking with him. And so on that third night, it was supposed to be that nobody over 25 was in the room, but Sarah snuck us in. I asked if we needed uh, any kind of disguises because we clearly were way over 25, but we got to come and that, that night was all 25 and under. And for me to just, there were times when I just couldn't sing because I didn't want to hear my own voice. I wanted to hear their voices lifting up, uh, lifting up Jesus uh, with various um, emotions. There were times of very quiet, um, reverent worship. And then there were times of jumping up and down. And <laughs> in fact, they had to make an announcement at every service that if you're a jumper, when you worship, please come down the main floor because the balcony is a hundred year old wooden structure that might fall down. <laughs> so, but there was some jumping because there's sometimes when singing, dancing, jumping, hollering is just the only, you can't contain it. And I loved what you had written, Sarah, in your Facebook post that said, God has lit the wick of Gen Z and the rest of us are just bringing our candles up to get a light. And I just thought, praise God, what a humbling privilege to take our candles to get a light from somebody who's 20. You know, it was just pretty cool. Um, in terms of what we can learn about worship, even as we are moving, we're planning, we're right thick in, in the thick of planning our, um, our general conference worship services. And of course, we need to plan. And of course, we'll have a schedule and we'll plan it down practically to the minute. But there is a part of us that say, you know what, we just have to leave some freedom so that if the spirit moves in an unusual way, we are not cramming, you know, oops, back in the box you go. We have to leave in the next three and a half minutes. So we can't stop and do this, you know. And also um, that the, the people, the congregation is not drowned out by the instruments. And in fact, we don't even need as much um programming or production quality as we often think that we do because the sound of the human voice i mean it sort of took me back to our forebears in the free methodist church who didn't even want a piano or an organ they just want you know they just wanted to hear the sound of this vocal instrument that god has given each one of us and so i think one way we can steward is to realize that it's not about um famous people or unusually talented people. It's about people who are just yielding to the anointing of the Spirit of God, sensitive to moving with one another and leading in a way that um, lets liturgy be the work of the people and doesn't try to uh, cram it down a certain path or a certain way. So that's that's what I take away from it. 
Thank you. Bishop Keith, what about you? What were some of your Simeon and Anna moments? And um, maybe do you have any other thoughts as well about uh, what we can learn about corporate worship from this experience? So we've been a part of the uh, seedbed new room gatherings for seven years. And, you know, JD has been uh, kind of casting this idea of sowing for a great awakening for seven, eight years. We've been a part of that from the beginning. So we've been a part of praying for that. Um, and I can, you know, I've often tried to imagine what it must have been like in that moment for Simeon and Anna when they're when they finally realize after all these years now is the moment this is the moment um and and i think i certainly felt that i mean the words that uh jesse and sarah and linda have already shared just the awe that uh of god's presence and move was really powerful and and so in terms of what we learn from it, i mean one of the big questions for me has been how to how do we steward this as a as a faith family for free Methodists? You know, um, there are you hear a fair amount on what I would call kind of the two extremes. One of those being, you know, almost a hype thing. Hey, we got to do this. We got to we got to make this happen. We got to bring it uh, as though we can. I mean, as though we can create a move of God. Uh, obviously, we can't. On the other hand, is something that's more similar to maybe what Linda was talking about earlier. There are those who've kind of almost resisted this is to say, well, you know, we don't have to go to Wilmore. We don't have to, to be a part of that. And, and almost downplaying the idea that God can move in unusual ways. And I would just say, I think there, there are two things here. Number one, is God does move in unusual ways. I mean, we absolutely have to see that, both in Scripture and in history. And there we miss that. You know, when God is moving, everything in me says we want to lean into that. We want to lean into whatever it is God is doing because we don't want to miss that. So there is a sense in which we we and we are seeing it. I mean, I was in Florida last week with uh, about 140 free Methodists who gathered for a church planning pre-con at Exponential. And um, they asked me to, to bring a message. And of course, I had just come back from Wilmore. So I talked a bit about this. And I asked the question, how many of you have experienced an uptick in, in just the sense of, your pre of the presence of the Lord in your worship? And I'd say half the people in the room raised their hand and said, God is doing something different uh, and new. And it's beautiful. And I think we want to lean into that. On the other hand, I think what may be even more important is to say, what was it that gave birth to this? Because I think you can't just, you cannot just transplant it. Right. Um, there's a sense in which there's a, you know, there's a sovereign element of this where God moves when and where he decides. But there's also a human element in that there is no question, I think, we can contribute to the fertile ground. There are things that we can do to make ourselves fertile ground uh, for the Spirit to move. And when you look at the prevailing prayer that has been going on for years, I mean, through seedbed, talked to Steve Siemens uh, just before we went up to Wilmore, and Steve said, you know, there's a group of us who have been praying every Friday for months 
for an outpouring of God's spirit. And um, it, prevailing prayer does move the hand of God. Uh, it doesn't move it necessarily in our timing, but it moves the hand of God. And it definitely prepares us for when God moves uh, to be ready to, to be a part of it. The, the, the radical humility um, that was so evident, not wanting to, to glorify anybody but Jesus, uh, not, not uh, latching on to celebrities, you know, and trying to bring in people. Uh, it was just so beautiful that there was just a real absence of human glory. There was just, there just wasn't human glory there. It was all about glorifying Jesus. I think that is something we we want to latch on to. I would 100% echo what Linda said. Uh, just, it's not that I'm against production. Not that, I, I mean, we passed, pastored a large church and we had a great band and we had good lights and sound and everything else. But, uh, and we prepared our services. I'm not saying you can't do those things. But if we're not ready to let the Holy Spirit disrupt those plans uh, to come in and move in ways that are unexpected. Um, and the most important thing is if the people aren't showing up hungry for God and, and hearts ready to, to be responsive to the will of God and the spirit of God, um, you know, that's the key. I think that's what we really need to latch on to. And that's what we want to champion in all of our churches. It's, it's what is the heart we're bringing? What are we expecting? What are we asking God for? And are we willing to let him do it in ways that may be unfamiliar, uh, may be uncomfortable even at times, but to let the spirit of God move in those authentic ways? Well, I just love what you said about the absence of the human element um, just a beautiful thing. Thank you, Bishop Keith. In closing, Jesse, I want to return to something you said very early on in the podcast when you were talking about um, the student experiences, and you said um, that there was this overwhelming sense that we don't need to be in Hughes anymore to experience this revival. And I think that that's a good word for us to leave on. Maybe you could expand on that. What has happened in the days since and how has revival and renewal continued? And then I'd love to get our closing thoughts on that as we wrap this up from everyone on the panel today. Jesse, what do you what do you sense and see happening in campus these days um, that lets you know that it still is at work, even though the official gatherings have have since ceased? Um, I think it's it's in a lot of the one on one interactions that we have with people. I think it's just there is a freedom in a lot of the conversations and in the ways that it's kind of, there's this sense of almost um, urgency to still continue the kind of relationships that we had, the freedom that we had with each other in the space that was used, but to have it in the broader context of all of campus, beyond campus, you know, when we go to the grocery store, whatever that looks like, to, to be putting Christ at the center of everything that we're doing in every place that we go. Um, and I think one thing for me that's really stuck out is just feeling like if I'm having a conversation with someone um, and they might say something or I say something and I just get this sense where it's like, that feels like something that needs prayer. It's, it's a freedom to stop and to say, hey, let's just stop and let's intercede for that in this moment. Let's go ahead and let's take it to the Lord. Um, let's go to him together, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's not be afraid to talk about the things that we used to think of as almost taboo to talk about in general Christian circles and to share with one another. It was like, 
we don't have to worry about those things anymore. We confessed a lot in Hughes to one another. There's a lot of vulnerability in that space. And we're trying to encourage each other to continue to be vulnerable about those things. Um, maybe not with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, but um, with the people that you love, the people that you trust, the people that you want to grow in discipleship with. Um, and that was a word that has come up a lot as well is discipleship. I think there's a real hunger that people want to have that personal relationship with a mentor, with somebody who can come alongside and say, here's what you've experienced. Now, here's how we're going to root that in your heart. Here's how we're going to grow that in you so that you can continue this journey with the Lord that is for the sake of other people so that you can share what you've experienced with everybody else. Um, and so I've seen a lot of that in people just having a hunger and having a desire to be discipled, to be a part of a group that wants to continue to seek after those things the works that the Lord was starting in Hughes, um, but just allowing him to meet us in the one-on-one -on -one spaces and in the personal places uh, where he can really start to, to take ground in what he started in Hughes. Sounds like real discipleship to me. Sarah, how about you? Um, how can we continue to take this beyond the walls of Hughes Auditorium? Yeah, I know for me and what you've been hearing from Jesse and the bishops, it, it really was seeing the Gospels come to life in front of our eyes. And I know that I won't be the same since. I, for me, what is really I'm coming away from is people's incredible hunger to experience Jesus in an embodied way. Like it wasn't enough for it to be on social media. Like they actually came thousands of miles and around the, around the world and spent sometimes life savings to somehow get here because they wanted to experience this with other people and to be present. And uh, when Jesus shows up, you can't keep people away, apparently. <laughs> and it, so to see the gospels coming to life, to see the crowds, to see people desiring essentially to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus, so to speak, like to get some people just were like, I've got to get to the altar of Hughes, whether that's good theology or not. It was true in their hearts. Like they were really desperate to experience Jesus. And we know that over time, God has done amazing and miraculous things at the altar of Hughes. So I understand like they, they wanted to be there. So every day I'm getting constant reports from around the world. I get a new report every day from someone who's like revival's broken out here. There's been an all night prayer meeting there. And so part of the way through this experience, it was David Thomas and others who were like reminding us that Asbury is actually a small part <laughs> of this work of God in the world. And, uh, that it really was contagious, like God doing something big and global. And for whatever reason, we got to stand under this outpouring for for a short amount of time. And that's been incredible. For me, the, the thing that I take away is a renewed understanding of how much people want Jesus. And I think I had either lost sight of that or just gotten so much in my own world of like our internal evangelical struggles <laughs> that I'd forgotten like the heart of the gospel. And like Bishop Linda was saying, it, it still works. Like people confessed and repented and turned around and, and experienced Jesus and experienced joy. It like works. So that's what I'm holding in my heart. Thank you. Bishop Linda, how about you? What are you holding in your heart or what are you thinking about how we continue to take this beyond the walls of Hughes? 
Well, I've been drawn especially to the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And I know that we're supposed to be in Lent. We're not at Pentecost yet, but I can't. I can't take my eyes off the fact that the people were praying together in one accord in the upper room and Mary was there and the women were there and there was unity around it and they were obeying Jesus to wait until the gift of the father came. And then when the gift of the father came as fulfilled this prophecy from Joel, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy and so on. And then just going through chapter two and looking at the end about how the believers had everything in common and they broke bread together and they, they gave themselves to the apostles teaching and to prayer. They shared their, their uh, resources with one another. And I just, I'm amazed at the intimacy that can be fostered in a large group. Like we all experience something as one and it's undeniable. And we, um, we witness to one another we testify to one another of what we've experienced. And so, and yet, you know, the, the thing is that that same Holy Spirit is fully available, prepared, and wants to be much more acknowledged than he normally is in our midst. We need to make, uh, I mean, we just need to make space for a, a greater openness to the Holy Spirit in our own lives, in our small groups. I, I preached at a Wesleyan, uh, Wesleyan village, a senior community in Florida for the last, for last weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I couldn't help but speak on the Holy Spirit and make a call for people to be filled with the Spirit and refilled if necessary, refilled and refilled and refilled if necessary, because the Spirit wants to fill us. And what I've just noticed just like in all other times when the, the Lord has done a fresh infilling and overflowing in my life is that um, the songs in my heart and mind are just practically 24 seven worship. Um, it's just there. That's one thing the Holy Spirit does. Maybe he does it for everybody. I know he does it for me. I wake up first thing in the morning with a song of praise in my mind and I can just sing it to the Lord before I even get out of bed. And that's, you know, just the ongoing, it's like savoring the aroma um, mm -hmm. and it's, and it should go on and on and on. Thank you. Bishop Keith, we'll let you have the final word as far as taking this beyond the walls of Hughes and how do we continue to steward it? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, one thing that I was so struck by um, was the very last night that that final Thursday night, it was the National Collegiate Day of Prayer that miraculously had been planned for Asbury, what, uh, years ago, right? Um, and, um, and it was the last speaker of the last night. I don't know his name because nobody was putting names up. You know, people just came. Yeah, you've maybe heard a, a, a first name here or there, but I don't know who this gentleman was, but he was an older guy that was there in 1970 as a student. And he uh, he made a statement at one point. He said, um, he said, I want to say to all of you who are here, I was here in 1970, and I want to say to all of you who are here, and, and I got to be honest with you, I was thinking, oh, I hope this guy doesn't start the, it's going to be a letdown, you know, and it's, you're going to come down from this mountaintop and kind of start minimizing what was going on. But that's not what he said at all. What he said was, I want you to know that you will never be the same. 
And I don't remember exactly how he said it, but my sense of he was, what he was saying was, you have tasted something that you will never forget. You will always be hungry for it. Um, and, and you will always be pursuing God in a new way because of what you've experienced here. And I began to think about my own life, you know, and, and I've had moments, you know, where just uh, moments where the presence of God was so real and so thick. Um, and uh, over the years, those moments, whether it's a, a moment in a personal time of prayer or in a community experience or gathering, uh, it's like they become part of what I would call a spiritual plumb line. You know, together they make up this spiritual plumb line that um, uh, becomes a, a way of recalibrating on a regular basis. You know, we all drift. We do. I mean, I wish we didn't, but we all drift and, and we can move a little away, but we will never forget these moments and we will always be drawn back to them. Uh, and I pray that every believer would have a plumb line like that. Every believer would would have this sense of what it's like when I know I am totally yielded to the Holy Spirit and I am full of His presence. Um, I can't tell you how precious that is to me. Um, it, it, uh, <clears throat> it's so precious to have those moments because I'm always pulled back to them. And, um, you know, I pray that whatever comes out of this, that there would be a lot more plumb lines out there, that a lot more people would have an experience of the presence of God, and they would they would always be um, uh, recalibrating and coming back to this place where Jesus was so real and so powerful. Thank you, Bishop Keith. Well, friends, our time is up for today. I want to thank you, Sarah Baldwin, Jesse Thompson, Bishop Linda Adams, and Bishop Keith Cowart for joining me today. As you're thinking in your own context, just a couple of takeaways. One is, how are you sowing seeds of prevailing prayer in your own context to see the Lord do a great and amazing thing in your local church, in your neighborhood, in your community where you live and work and play and study? And how can you see that spread so that as Jesse talked, it's now these conversations that weren't even had in the church most often are happening in the grocery store or on the street. How can we see the gospel spread in such a powerful and miraculous way? How can you leave margins for the Holy Spirit to move in your worship? Just let those questions sink in as we leave today. I'm Brett Heinzman, and for the Light and Life podcast, thank you for listening today. God bless you.